Today we explore how the chapter "The Gathering of the Clouds" from J.R.R. Tolkien's *The Hobbit* was adapted in the third Hobbit film, *The Battle of Five Armies*. We explore the thrilling events surrounding the White Council's attack on Dol Guldur, the enigmatic necklace fueling the rivalry between Thorin and Thranduil, and the portrayal of the gathering armies converging on the Lonely Mountain. This is *Lore of the Rings*, episode 115, and I'm Aaron, your host and fellow Middle Earth wanderer. And if you're new here, Magovanian Melon. Make sure you tap that subscribe button and share the episode with a friend so that we can wander Middle Earth together. Now let's wander. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants—they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan. Investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com. In the extended edition of the film, the adaptation for this chapter starts about 37 minutes into the movie. But before that, there is a scene that is a movie invention that we need to address. At about the 27-minute marker, we return to Gandalf's storyline. Now, in The Hobbit, Tolkien didn't provide any detail on what Gandalf was doing during his disappearance. That book, after all, is about a Baggins who has an adventure and says and does rather unexpected things. So Gandalf's disappearance didn't have much relevance on Bilbo's adventure. But in order to extend screen time, the filmmakers drew from other sources. One such source is Appendix B to Return of the King in the section called The Tale of Years, which simply states, quote, "2941, the White Council meets. Saruman agrees to an attack on Dol Guldur." Since he now wishes to prevent Sauron from searching the river for the ring, Sauron, having made his plans, abandons Dol Guldur. Also, in the Fellowship of the Ring, in the chapter called "The Council of Elrond," Gandalf has this to say: quote, "Some will remember also that Saruman dissuaded us from open deeds against him, and for long we watched him only. Yet at last, as his shadow grew, Saruman yielded." And the council put forth its strength and drove the evil out of Mirkwood, and that was in the very year of the finding of this ring—a strange chance, if chance it was. There might be a few more sources, but these two statements give you the idea: the White Council, consisting of Gandalf, Saruman, Galadriel, Elrond, and others, drove Sauron out from Dol Guldur. 
So adding in this scene of Gandalf being saved by the White Council is not entirely outside of canon, although neither is it strictly aligned with what Tolkien wrote. Let's examine the scene for its worth. I find a few interesting things going on here. First is the focus on the rings. We see an orc torture Gandalf as he references the three rings that were given to the elves. These three rings were made after Sauron had taught the elves the craft, but he did not directly make them. They were crafted solely by the elves after Sauron had left them in the Second Age. So the three were made by Sauron's teachings, but were not sullied or touched by him. Nevertheless, they are still connected to the One Ring, though more outside of its influence than the other rings of power. The Seven and the Nine, of course, Sauron had claimed and distributed to the dwarves and men, but the three he had never possessed, and in fact, the keepers were kept quite secret. Gandalf, it is revealed in the later chapters of Return of the King, is indeed the keeper of the Ring of Fire, one of the three. But I know of no reference that suggests that Sauron was aware of Gandalf being a ring bearer. So that's a movie invention. But at least the orc asks Gandalf, quote, where are the others? Referring to the rings borne by Galadriel and Elrond at the time. Then there's Galadriel, openly wearing her ring as she walks into Dol Guldur. Not sure she would have actually done that, as her keeping of the ring was also top-secret knowledge that few were privy to. I don't think even Saruman, the head of the White Council, knew who bore the three rings. But what I think this scene does really well is shows the power of Galadriel. She enters evil places without fear. With the flick of her hand, she can destroy orcs. Through her intervention, the spells of illusion and deception that surround Dolgaldor dissipate into nothingness. She is physically strong enough to carry the body of Gandalf, and with her light, she is able to call Gandalf back from the brink of death. Even Radagast, an embodied Maiar, is startled by her command. Yet, she is not invincible. We might even consider, is she entirely a being of good and light? She looks pretty scary when she commands Radagast to leave Gandalf. But before that, she hears Sauron's voice chanting the ringverse, and the nine ringwraiths appear. She appears quite shaken and nervous at their sudden appearance. Clearly, she has great power, yet there are enemies to which even she could be bested. Now, I want to deviate slightly here and provide a contrast to this Galadriel with that of Amazon's Rings of Power Galadriel. Perhaps I'm simplifying too much, but the Galadriel of Rings of Power is portrayed not as a being of perilous power, but rather as the person with simply the best fighting skills. Rings of Power Galadriel is invincible. I'm not saying that the character thinks that she is invisible and therefore there's a story arc needed to show how she learns wisdom or something. No, the writing and the portrayal itself is that Galadriel is invincible even from volcanic pyrotechnic flows. There's literally nothing that can harm her. Don't get me wrong, I'm not bashing on Morfaith Clark's performance. I think she did the best she could with the character she was handed. But there's a one-sidedness, a shallowness to Galadriel in Rings of Power that is completely eclipsed by the Galadriel of the Hobbit films. Perhaps season two and beyond will convince me otherwise. Returning to the Hobbit film, the battle of Elrond and Saruman versus the Ringwraiths is highly entertaining. 
I really enjoy how the rules of physics are bendable. Are the ringwraiths corporal or spirit? Does gravity apply to them or not? Are they dead or alive? And if alive, can they be killed again? This scene wrestles with these questions, and the mechanics are not super clear, which I really like. This scene reaches its pinnacle as Sauron reveals himself and his goals, and Galadriel flirts with the line between light and darkness in order to dispel him. She calls him Servant of Morgoth. Quick reminder, Morgoth was akin to the Valar, the spiritual gods who govern Middle-earth, but rebelled against the others and the creator god Iluvatar. He was imprisoned at the end of the First Age, but Sauron was his primary lieutenant and continued his evil works in various ways into the Second and Third Ages. Gladriel harnesses all her power as the wisest of elves in Middle-earth, calls on the power of her ring, and brandishes the light of Eärendil, which in turn is light from a Silmaril and the two trees of Valinor. She banishes Sauron, but takes immense personal draining in doing so. And with that, Gandalf starts his return journey to Erebor, in order to warn them of the army of orcs marching in their direction. Now, let's return to the dwarves. Thorin, for his part, is going mad. Balin calls it dragon sickness. Bilbo seems to contemplate giving him the Arkenstone, hoping to cure him of this dragon sickness. But Thorin's reaction to the Lake Town refugees seems to dissuade him. Instead of helping the people of Lake Town, Thorin insists on building a stone wall across the entrance, something the dwarves were still skilled in doing. The people coming to Dale is different than in the book. In the book, it is an army of men and elves who arrive in Dale, rather than the ragtag group of refugees. This is partly because the journey would have taken several days and the people had no supplies, while the elves were already on the march soon after the dragon died. One tragic nod to the detail of Dale. As the refugees pour in, the scars of the dragon's attack are blatantly displayed, including ashen and burnt bodies in the streets. This reminds me of the images of Pompeii, suggesting that the dragon's attack and fury was as sudden and violent as a volcanic eruption that nobody could survive. Unless you were Rings of Power Galadriel, that is. Anyway, differences from the book aside, the elves do eventually arrive, bringing aid to the survivors. But Thranduil's motivation isn't simply to stake a claim on the treasure as a whole. No, in the film, he is much more targeted. A silver necklace, which Thorin handles and calls the White Gems of Las Galen. Now, this necklace is a film invention, but not without its roots in Tolkien lore. In the First Age, Baron the Man and Luthien the Elf reclaimed one of the three Silmarils from Morgoth. This reclaimed Silmaril was added to an ancient necklace that the dwarves had originally made for Galadriel's brother, Finrod. This Silmaril and necklace combination was a source of strife and battle between certain houses of elves and dwarves and the primary reason for Celeborn's great hatred for dwarves. Eventually, that Silmaril was sent into the sky, and worn by Elrond's father, Eärendil, while it is unknown what happened to the necklace itself. Now, if you keep track of all of those different stories, then you are a true Tolkien lore wizard, and you've probably listened to every episode of this podcast. But if you'd like to dig deeper on that necklace, you can check out episode 28, The Fall of Doriath. 
So is this necklace in The Hobbit the exact same as the necklace that once housed a Silmaril in the First Age? I don't think so. The ancient necklace was gold for one, whereas the film necklace is silver. Nevertheless, its addition is a nod to the sibling rivalry between the dwarves and elves and their battles over that ancient necklace. Woo, we've delved pretty deep already, but we haven't even gotten to the gathering of the clouds yet. We'll get to that right after this brief break. We're not done yet. If you like this episode, please leave a review and share with your friends. And remember to subscribe if you haven't already. We'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's close this out by looking at the figurative gathering of the clouds. How intimidating it must have been for Thorin to wake up to an army of elves at his doorstep. In the book, the negotiation between Bard and Thorin is a relatively straightforward affair, with Bard making three specific claims and Thorin simply refuting them or ignoring them. However, in the film, this scene takes a more dramatic turn. The tension is heightened and the negotiation becomes far more complex and intense than what we see in the book. Thorin's character is called into question. Another nod to the book is the appearance of the raven shooting out of the mountain. While this event is not explicitly mentioned in the Gathering of the Clouds chapter, the chapter does include a raven as a significant character in communicating with the dwarves and calling for aid from their kinsmen in the north. Jackson's film cleverly incorporates this reference, creating a connection for fans of the original story, although bypasses the talking animals complication. Bilbo makes an attempt at peace, only to be rebuffed. This is a poignant moment in both the book and the film. It showcases his character's growth and his desire to prevent unnecessary bloodshed, and again highlights the difference between hobbits and dwarves. One intriguing visual aspect that the film provides is the presence of spiderwebs covering both the armories of Dale and Erebor. This detail symbolizes the passage of time and the neglected state of the kingdoms during their long abandonment. However, while the book is scanty on details of the preparations for war, the film visually represents this, even connecting Bilbo's silver steel shirt to the war preparations, emphasizing the imminent conflict that lies ahead. Now, let's talk about Azog's mention of the giant Earth Eaters, often referred to as the Wereworms. These creatures have one minor reference in all the lore of J.R.R. Tolkien, and as such are not extensively explained. Bilbo mentions them during the unexpected party when he commits to helping the dwarves. Quote, Tell me what you want done, and I will try it, if I have to walk from here to the east of east and fight the wild wereworms in the last desert. As TolkienGateway.net mentions, quote, It is not known if they were an actual race or if they were only a part of Hobbit folklore, which mentions several mythical creatures. However, the film takes the opportunity to expand on this intriguing concept, introducing the idea of these monstrous creatures that add an extra layer of threat and suspense to the story. Because of the wereworms, The orcs have a secret path 
to approach the mountain. Lastly, we have the inclusion of Legolas and Tariel's encounter with the orc army leaving the fortress of Gundabad. This sequence is not even remotely present in the book, but it serves to expand the scope of the story and creates connections to the Lord of the Rings trilogy. By intertwining these narratives, the filmmakers bridge the gap between The Hobbit and the events that follow in Tolkien's larger Middle-earth saga, and provide a little depth to Legolas and his backstory. As our tale comes to a close, we have witnessed the ferocious clash of the White Council against the dark forces of Dol Guldur, unearthing the secrets of an ancient evil. The intricate power dynamics surrounding the mesmerizing necklace have left us spellbound, while the convergence of mighty armies near the Lonely Mountain sets the stage for an unforgettable showdown. Join us next time as we continue our exploration of J.R.R. Tolkien's The Hobbit. Until then, may your journeys be filled with wonder and endless imagination. Thanks for wandering Middle-earth with me today. My friends, if you enjoyed this episode, let me know by subscribing, leaving a review, and sharing with your friends. Follow me on Facebook or Instagram at Lore of the Rings Podcast. For feedback on the show, please email me using the link in the show notes. Until next Thursday, remember, not all those who wander are lost. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Raise your hand if this has happened to you today. You're in the middle of work, you're knocking things off the to-do list, getting stuff done, and your kid asks you to play. Do you drop everything? Do you ask them to wait a minute? What do you do? If you're like me, you don't always say yes right away. The kid moves on, you get busy, and you forget to circle back around and play. An opportunity to make a memory has been lost, and the dad guilt settles in. Not so anymore. I've developed a simple game that will enable you to take those small moments and have fun. It's called Dad's Adventure Dice Digital Edition. My five-year-old daughter asks me nearly every day, can we do Dad Adventure Dice? What follows are some quick rolls of the dice that lead to a fun activity with an intriguing twist. Within five or ten minutes, we've had a lot of fun, shared a lot of laughter, and made a memory together. Download your own Dad's Adventure Dice today. Visit store.adventures.dad to download yours. That's store.adventure.dad to download Dad's Adventure Dice.